Be finding in your Bible this morning, Luke chapter 18, please. Luke chapter 18, let's start reading verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus is telling a story here, and it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Father, I pray today that we would be here in the moment with you, focused in on your word, what it is that you would share with us and show us today. And I pray that each one of us would understand that one of these two men represent us. And Father, I, I pray that when we leave church, we will leave the right way. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know how many of you know the name Irma Bombeck, but she was a, a humorist and a writer, and uh, matter of fact, she, she was pretty funny with a lot of things she wrote. But she told a story one time about going to church, and she said she was sitting in church, and a few pews in front of her, there was a little child, a little girl, uh, that was looking back at the people sitting behind her. Said this child was doing nothing to disrupt the service, uh, but was just simply smiling at people. Just smiling at people. And Irma said, I thought to myself, how cute. Said, then all of a sudden her mom looked over and said, stop that smiling, you're in church. Uh, Irma said she concluded from that that, and I'll read it, most people come to church, they look like their rich aunt just died and left everything she had to her cat. Now, I think a lot of people do come to church with that attitude, and maybe that attitude comes out in their face. I'm going to tell you, over the years, uh, as a pastor, I've seen people act a lot of different ways at church. I've seen people walk in glad and leave mad, and vice versa. I've seen people, uh, you know, uh, come in pouting and go out shouting. I've seen people come in every way imaginable and leave the same way. Now, today as we continue, folks, focusing on worship, we're looking at, and I know you already know this, a familiar but a very powerful a uh, passage of scripture, a parable, a story that Jesus told of two men and the experience that they had at church. Now both of these men in our story, they came to church, both of these men prayed, both of these men went through the ritual of worship, and both of these men went home. But they were different in all aspects, and especially the way that they departed from church was different as night and day. One went home in one condition, and the other man went home in another condition. Now I realize there are many churches today and they advertise it this way where they say come as you are and leave as you are. 
Well, that's fine if that's the way they want to be, but I want you to listen to me. When I ask you throughout this message today, how will you leave church this morning, understand, I'm not talking about the car you're driving. I'm not talking about the route you're going to take going home to avoid the floodwaters. When I say, how are you going to leave church this morning, I'm interested in the spiritual condition that you'll be in when you leave church this morning. Now, I guess the question, I don't know if it's on there or not, but the question I have for you, would be the title of the message, is will you walk out the same way that you walked in? Look at verse 10. Let's look at these two men. Verse 10 says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Well, let's start by, by examining these guys' lives. And they were complete opposites in every aspect uh, from their occupation to their reputation. First, let's look at the respectable life of the Pharisee. Now, if you've studied anything within Scripture, you understand a Pharisee was a noted religious leader. They were noted for being keepers of the law. They were considered the religious leader, teacher, the model of the day. Matter of fact, the name Pharisee means separatist or separated one. And what that speaks of is the fact that they were separated from an ordinary life and separated to the study and interpretation of the law or of the Scripture. They controlled the synagogues. They exercised great influence and control over the people. In the Jewish perspective of that day, they were admired and revered. But you read the Gospels and you find that the Pharisees, they were relentless in their criticism and persecution of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, folks, in the eyes of the Jewish people of that day, there were moral and spiritual examples to be followed. They had a name, they had a power and status that most Jewish society, most people in Jewish society could only dream about. These were the people, these Pharisees, were the people that were looked up to and held in high esteem. You know, the Pharisees remind me of a person who is a model citizen. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody who is a model in the community that live a clean, uh, moral life. Somebody whose motto is, you know, I I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or run around with women that do. Somebody has that type of attitude. That's what the Pharisees remind me of. They remind me of a kind of person that is religious, and maybe they go to church every Sunday, sing in the choir, teach Sunday school, serve as a deacon. Some of the most committed church members are people like this Pharisee. Now listen to me. Not all Pharisees died in the first century. This Pharisee reminds me of a Sunday school teacher. Heard about one day he was teaching his group of young kids, young boys, And he was trying to explain to them the importance of living out the Christian life before the world. And he said, guys, let me ask you a question. Why do you think everybody thinks I'm such a great Christian? One little boy raised his hand. He said, maybe it's because they don't know yet. (laughs) Now listen to me. Whether you loved or hated the Pharisees, one thing has to be said about them, and that is on the surface, they lived a respectable life. On the other hand, in our story, we see the reprehensible life of the publican. The life of blame, the life of guilt. The Greek word for publican, that's a word, of course, we know it means tax collector. So uh, what they did, they were the IRS agents of the day. Now, if I stopped right there, I probably wouldn't have to explain any more about what people felt about them. Just the fact that they were the IRS agents. Now, listen to me. As a result, 
They were, they were looked at in Israel uh, as being despised, as being hated, as ostracized. Nobody was lower than a publican. Publicans are tax collectors. They worked for the Roman government who had control over the Jewish people. And the tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman government taking money from their fellow Jews to give to Rome. But that was just part of it. Another reason why they were hated is because they were considered renegades and traitors. And in most cases, tax collectors or publicans were cheats and crooks. So if Rome required, say, 7% tax, these guys might make it a 12% tax and they would pocket the rest of it. So publicans, they, they had the reputation of being extortionists. Now understand, nothing in our story in this parable would suggest that this publican was any different than the rest of them. I mean, I'm sure he was like the rest in his profession. He robbed, plundered, uh, cheated, conned, stole, lied. I think about two brothers I heard about, and they, were, they lived vile, wicked lives, but they disguised it well because they were great con men. But the way they disguised it was they went to church every Sunday. They give great sums of money to the church. Well, one of the brothers died. And the other brother, the living brother, came to the new pastor. And he said, I'd like you to do my brother's funeral. And the new pastor, young man, new pastor, he knew the reputation of these two guys from the last pastor. And he said, you know, I don't know if I could do that. The brother said, oh, come on, preacher. He said, tell you what, I'll give you $1,000 to preach my brother's funeral. And all I ask is that you tell people who are at the service that he was a saint. Preacher said, I can't lie. The man just kept on badgering him. He said, all right, listen, I, I, again, I'll give you $1,000. That's all you got to do. Tell people my brother was a saint. Well, the young preacher finally gave in. He took the money, and at the funeral, this young preacher stood before the casket, and he said with, with firm conviction in his voice, he said, ladies and gentlemen, the man before us was an ungodly, wicked, vile to the core sinner. He was hot-tempered with his kids. He was unfaithful to his wife. He was ruthless in business. He was a hypocrite in the church. And then he looked at the brother that was standing there. He said, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> now, folks, anybody, anybody compared to the publican would look like a saint. The Pharisee was admired, the publican, he was abhorred. Uh, the Pharisee was respected, the publican, he was rejected. Uh, one was idolized, one was ostracized. Now as we look at these two men, the, the, the difference between them, uh, of course, are obvious. They walked into church that day, they was as different as they could be. One lived a respectable life, the other one lived a reprehensible life. However, the story doesn't end there. Because if we want to get all the facts, we don't need just look at these men, we need to listen to these men. And just as they were different how they lived, they were also different in how they prayed. Beginning in verse 11, we get to hear both men's prayers. So let's tune in first of all. Let's, let's begin with the prayer of the Pharisee. Notice that his prayer, it was an arrogant, self-glorifying prayer. He was bragging on himself. You know, it reminds me of three doctors I heard about. Another story. These uh, three doctors, they're actually surgeons. And they were discussing with one another and bragging on their surgical ability and skill. One doctor said, well, you know, I had a patient I operated on. He fell asleep in the train tracks. Train come run over him, severed both legs. He said, but I reattached them. After the surgery, a little bit of physical therapy, he won the Boston Marathon this year. Second surgeon said, uh-huh, well, that ain't nothing. He said, I had a lady in a head-on car collision. 
that flew through the windshield, she was cut to ribbons. But after I performed the operation on her, she won Miss America pageant this year. Third surgeon, not to be outdone. He said, well, let me tell you what I did. He said, I operated on a man who fell into an industrial fan. And he said, all that they could recover was a small piece of brain matter about the size of a pea. And he said, from that small piece of brain matter, I reconstructed the entire man. And now he's a U.S. Senator. <laughs> now, I told you that because, listen, folks, when it comes to bragging, the Pharisee was one of the best. In fact, notice his prayer. It was nothing more than a personal bragging session. Look at verse 11. It says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now notice that phrase, with himself. Actually, in the original language, he means he prayed toward himself. It indicates he was actually praying or talking to himself, not God. And what's so amazing, folks, I'm sure that when this Pharisee was praying, he really thought his prayers were penetrating the throne room of heaven. And they weren't getting any higher than his head. His prayer was not a petition to God. It was a recitation to himself. Because listen how he prayed. He was, there, there was no doubt in his mind of how good he was. And I'm sure he prayed out loud so everybody could hear him because that was the custom of the Pharisees in that day. And look what he says, verse 11 and 12. Again, he says, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this politician. <coughs> he says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. My, he's awful proud of himself. You know, this reminds me of a guy, and I'm sure the Pharisee was this way. Every morning when he got up and looked in the mirror to shave, when he saw his reflection, I bet he sang, How Great Thou Art. I mean, he was in love with himself. We hear him bragging on not only what he did not do, he said, God, thank you, I'm not like other people are. You know, crooks and adulterers running around. And he said, Lord, especially thank you that I'm not like this sorry publican over here. And did you notice he not only brags about what he was not or what he did not do, but he brags about what he does do. He bragged about how he fasted twice a week. Folks, let me, let me give you some history Jewish law only required that you fasted once. The requirement of the law was once on the Day of Atonement. But not this man. This fine, uh, righteous, self-righteous man. He fasted twice in a week. He also bragged about how he tithed all his possessions. I mean, this man not only gave what the law required, he gave more than the law required. I bet he gave big chunks of money to the Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, and Eddie McMillan offering. I mean, he went above and beyond what was required. Now you'd think, by the way he's praying, that he had to walk around slumped over because all the good deed medals hanging around his neck, wouldn't you? I mean, he, he, it's like he, he uh, gave himself, you know, the, the Meritorious Service Award or nominated himself as Man of the Year. I might add, folks, that he reminds me of many church members I pastored down through the years. And the basis they use for their standing with God is how they compare to everybody else. They look at their deeds and then measure themselves by the fact that others don't do what they do. And you know what? Their good deeds serve as some type of validity or some kind of security for them. In the Pharisee, we hear a self-glorifying. We hear an arrogant prayer. But on the other hand, I want you to look at verse 13. The prayer of this poor tax collector was a humble, broken-hearted prayer. Verse 13. 
And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican, I mean, he stood in the background. He didn't want people to see him. The Pharisee, however, he stood out in front of everybody so everybody could hear him. And the Pharisee proudly lifted his eyes toward heaven. But this poor tax collector, he was so full of shame and so full of guilt and he felt so unworthy that he couldn't even look up to heaven. And the Bible said he smote his breast. What that means is he struck himself. And the reason he continued to strike himself because it was a sign of desperation and humiliation. I mean, it was an indication of his unworthiness of how he saw himself. Now, get what I'm telling you. The Pharisee prayed within himself, to himself. He was reminding God of all his good works. The publican, on the other hand, he was so ashamed of his condition before a righteous and a holy God that he could not, would not, didn't dare even raise his eyes toward heaven. Pharisee bragged on who he was and all he had done. The publican cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now understand, that phrase, merciful to me, a sinner, it actually translates, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. It was not just that he saw himself as a sinner, he felt that he was the sinner of all sinners. Friend, I want to submit to you, that is true, genuine worship. This, this poor tax collector... He entered into worship with God because he got a glimpse, just like Isaiah last week. He got a glimpse of God and all of his holiness and thereby saw himself and all of his sinfulness. And he realized, God, be merciful to me. I am the greatest of sinners. True worship is when we come clean before God. True worship, friend, is when we tear off the facade and the pretense and the mask. True worship is when we realize that we need God far more than God needs us. When you look at these two men, you see two totally different people. Uh, we listen to them pray, you hear two totally different prayers. That brings us to the last point. We've looked at these men and listened to them, and now I want us to venture with them. I want us to leave church with them. When Jesus finished giving this parable, telling this story, he described the two men leaving and going their separate ways. Now understand, both left the temple and went home. But just as they were different in their personalities and their prayers, they were also different in the way they parted and the way they left and went home. You could say their, their departure was as different as night and day. Because look at verse 14. Jesus himself says, I tell you this man, speaking to the publican, he says, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Folks, these two men represent how every person in this church building is going to leave today. Do you realize that? You're going to leave one of these two ways. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Every person seated in a church pew, not just here, but anywhere, all across the world, all across the, uh, the globe, in the church, they're going to leave church service this morning one of these two ways. You will either leave like the Pharisee or you'll leave like the publican. Friend, you'll either leave right with God or you'll leave wrong with God. You'll either leave satisfied with yourself or justified before God. Now let's pay attention to how they left church. First of all, let's leave with the Pharisee. He left rejected by God. Go back up and look at verse 9. It states the purpose of this story. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and despised others. The Pharisee is an example of somebody who is self-righteous. They trust in themselves, in their own righteousness. Now, it's very clear, folks, when you study this passage, that Jesus, talking about the Pharisee, the Pharisee was lost. He was religious. He was very religious because he was a Pharisee. But he did not go home justified. He went home lost. You see, he was trusting in who he was and what he had done for righteousness before God. Notice that word trust in verse 9. That's a word that means to convince or to pacify. In other words, this Pharisee had convinced himself that he was righteous because of his life. Because of what he had done or things he had did, the way he lived his life. But in spite of how he lived and all that he did, he did not leave church right with God. He left church rejected by God. So friend, listen to me and listen close. I don't care if you're the best person in the county. I don't care if you come to church, this church or another church, every time the doors are open. I don't care if you give 90% of your income to the church. Those things cannot, will not, ever save you. You can be a church member, sing in the choir, teach Sunday school, serve as a deacon. You can ever be a, even be a preacher and not be saved. Folks, again, those things cannot, will not, ever save a person. You say, you mean somebody can be a preacher and not be saved? How many of you have heard about the man named John Wesley? One of the founders of the Methodist denomination. John Wesley was a man who traveled extensively. I mean, he preached, he wrote books, he taught, he built churches, schools, orphanages, even come to America as a missionary, and the whole time he was lost. He was unsaved. Then one day he picked up his Bible and he picked up a book that Martin Luther, a commentary that Luther had written over the book of Romans. And he began to read it. And through reading that, he later said, he said, I used to believe that I was saved based on my Christian works and based on being separated from sin. He said, but once God's Word came alive to me, I realized that I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you're trusting in the way you live and your good moral life and deeds, your charities or your kindness take you to heaven, you're going to leave church today just like the Pharisee, friend, and you'll be lost as a ball in high weeds. If you are depending on uh, your church membership, your baptism, Christian service, and works to save you, you're going to leave church this morning just like the Pharisee did, satisfied in yourself but condemned before God. And then, friend, if you're trusting in a denomination or affiliation, participation, some type of confirmation to get you to heaven, you're going to wind up in hell. I'm afraid that our churches today are filled with people just like this Pharisee. They are sincere in what they believe and what they do, but they are sincerely wrong. Good deeds, acts of kindness, gestures, compassion, they serve as a security blanket for these people. And I'm going to say it again, our churches are filled with people like this. Well, I must be a Christian. I tithe. I teach Sunday school. I go to church all the time. I try the best I can to live a good moral life. Listen to me, friend. Hell is full of people with kind hearts and good deeds. Hell is full of sincere people with the best intentions. Hell is filled with people like this Pharisee. They were full of religion, but void of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
In fact, it's interesting. The very thing that this Pharisee was holding on to to make him, he thought, acceptable to God was the very thing that caused him to be rejected by God. His religion. His religion. Let me make it as plain as I possibly can. If you've never privately prayed to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've never publicly professed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not saved. A person is saved, friend, when they come to God in humble, broken-hearted repentance and pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and receive forgiveness from Him. If you've not done that, then you are not saved. Friend, let me drive the point home a little, little harder and a little deeper. If you haven't experienced a life change because of Christ, then you are not saved. If you all you've done is sign a card, shook hands with a preacher, and been baptized, you are not saved. Now, I know there may be some people here saying, Hey, preacher, you're being pretty rough. You, you know, we're not to judge other people's salvation. You know what my answer to that is? What Jesus said in John 7, 24, when He said, Judge righteous judgment. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 15, He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So let me clarify to you. We are not judges in the sense that we indict others, but we are judges in the sense that we inspect others. You following me? And folks, listen to me. Things are known by what they produce, by their fruit. I mean, an apple tree is an apple tree. Why? Because it produces persimmons? No, because it produces an apple. A peach tree is a peach tree because it produces peaches. A Christian is known as a Christian because the Holy Spirit of God produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and temperance in their life. Now, I'm you saying, well, now you're talking about works. Yes, I am, but I want you to listen to me. Understand, it's not a case where we are saved by works, but we are saved, Christian, to works. It's not a case where it's faith plus works, but it's faith that works. Good deeds, folks, they are not the basis of salvation, but good deeds should be the behavior of salvation. I mean, if you've truly met Jesus Christ, So I ask you, will you leave today like the Pharisee? Will you leave looking right in your eyes but looking wrong in God's eyes? And you know, I've often had people, and I'm sure some of you have too, I've invited people to come to church, and of course they'll make excuses, but one that I hear a lot, you've probably heard, and maybe you're thinking this today, well, you know, in that church, there's a lot of hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. Sad to say, but there are hypocrites in the church. But I want to remind you the hypocrite in this story went right straight to hell. You hear what I told you? Don't let a hypocrite keep you from coming to Christ. Don't let a hypocrite keep you from serving Christ. We left the, with the Pharisee who was rejected by God. Now, let's go home with the, with the publican who went home righteous before God. Look at verse 14. Jesus said, this man, he went down to his house justified. Now, when Jesus uses that word justified, that word justified means just or innocent. Jesus was saying, while this publican walked in the doors of church that morning guilty, he walked out innocent. You say, how does that happen? Well, the publican felt that he was the worst sinner that ever walked on the face of the earth. 
And when he left church, he went home clean before God because he felt that way. You say, I don't understand. Well, listen to me. Here was a Pharisee that lived a respectable life. He was very religious. He went home rejected by God. Yeah, here was a, a tax collector that lived a reprehensible life, and he went home righteous before God. Why, preacher? Number one, because he recognized that he was a sinner. I mean, he, he knew he was a sinner and felt so unworthy, he couldn't even raise his eyes up to look toward heaven. And then, folks, understand, a person will not get saved until they realize they're lost, and they need to be saved. That's the problem we have with many churches today. We want to lead people down an aisle, have them fill out a card, and be baptized, and they never come to the understanding that they're lost and on the way to hell without Jesus Christ. But we're more concerned about getting numbers in the pew than we are about people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You grasp what I'm telling you? All the religion in the world won't do nothing but pave the way to hell for you. Not about religion, it's about having a relationship with Christ. This man knew he was a lost, knew he was a sinner. And I'll say it again, a person will never get saved till they see themselves as a sinner. Till they admit to both themselves and God that they are a sinner. Secondly, this publican, he was aware that he could not save himself. I mean, the Pharisee thought his good life and all his religious deeds would make him acceptable to God. The publican, he knew he didn't have anything to offer to God. He knew that he couldn't save himself. Folks, we have to understand a person will never be saved until they realize there's nothing they can do to save themselves. It's all because of God's grace. And number three, this tax collector, he realized since he was a sinner and he couldn't save himself, he had to have a Savior. Somebody had to save him. That's why, look at verse 13. He cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That word merciful, let me explain to you. That word is used a number of times in the New Testament, folks. And actually, other places where it's used, it speaks of atonement. And that word literally means to forgive sins and bestow blessings. So the, the publican, knew that he needed someone to make atonement for his sins. Someone to stand in his place. Someone to pay the price that he owed. You see, he realized the words of that old hymn, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. Because it's the way of the cross that leads home. I was reading some time ago, and actually, I got started reading because I watched a series on Netflix about Harry Houdini. Now, most people remember, uh, not remember, you may not have been alive when he was, but you've read about Harry Houdini. He was a great escape artist. I mean, this guy was phenomenal. He could escape from straitjackets and, and shackles and handcuffs and, and prison cells. And one of his claims to fame was there was no jail cell on earth that he couldn't escape from. And he escaped from all of them except one. He took a challenge from some country sheriff to escape from the jail. Well, they put him in the cell, shut the door, and everybody walked out. Usually, in just a couple of minutes' time, he was out standing beside them. But this time, when everybody left, he reached into his waistband and pulled out a long, thin piece of metal that he used to manipulate the locks on the doors. And he began to work on that lock. 
And he worked on it, and he worked on it, but he couldn't get the tumblers to turn. He thought, what is going on? I mean, he was a master locksmith. And he worked and worked on it. Two hours later, in exhaustion and frustration, he gave up. He said, you got me. I can't get out of this one. The reason he couldn't get out of it was because he wasn't locked in. They had forgot to lock the door. All they did was shut it. So what he was doing was working himself into a frenzy and exhausting himself trying to achieve what could be accomplished by simply pushing the door open. Now I want you to listen to me and I'm closing here. If I could sum up this parable. The Pharisee, he couldn't open the door of faith because in his mind he believed he was a good saint. Now the publican, on the other hand, he reached up opened the door of faith because he knew he was a great sinner. When we leave church today, how are you going to leave? Friend, are you going to leave rejected by God or will you leave justified before God? Uh, let me say this. If you're saved but you're not the Christian you should be, you're not living the life you should, you need to make a decision. God's been burdening your heart maybe to join this church or follow in believer's baptism or, or rededicate your life. How will you leave this morning? Will you walk out the doors with unfinished business? And if you're here and you're not saved, and God's speaking to your heart, will you say no again today? Friend, will you continue to allow the devil to convince you that you're saved based on what you have done? Or will you realize that you're lost because you've yet to accept what Christ has done? So I'm going to ask you one more time. Will you walk out of church this morning the same way you walked in? Decision's yours. Would you bow your heads, please?